<laughs> Thumbs up for rock and roll. <laughs> Anxiety. Anxiety is one of the most common mental health issues for young people. In Australia, one in 10 young people suffer from anxiety. Um, from some conversations I've had, I'd say it might even be higher than that. But in fact, we're all anxious people. We all worry. Anxiety is built into everyday lives. And sometimes, you know, we won't even like post a picture to Instagram because we're anxious about how it will perform in getting the likes, you know. Nom, 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 all them likes. That's what it's all about. We are all, deep down, anxious about something. How can we cope with anxiety? Well, you might believe one of the things that society will tell us. Number one, perhaps you think that some people just need to not worry so much. Just get over it. Take a spoonful of concrete, toughen up, and move on. But for those people who are actually suffering from anxiety, that's not that helpful to hear because it doesn't work like that. Number two, society's main cure for many of life's problems is to believe in yourself. We saw it in that video. If you believe in yourself, you can do anything. And this idea, it's inspiring, but it falls short of a cure. And it falls short with us. See, even on our best days, we let ourselves down. Believing in ourselves doesn't make us superhumans. (laughs) We let ourselves down. We let those around us down. And there's so much pain in that, particularly when you were your only hope. (laughs) You can just end up feeling worse. Now, other people might say that it's all about having something in the future, something to look forward to. You know it'll all end well. Surely that's the way to put our worries to rest. Now, that's actually getting closer to the truth. In fact, if you're a Christian, you do know it will end well. If we keep trusting Jesus till the day that we die, our story has a happy ending. We will get reunited with Jesus and his people forever in heaven. And that actually is really, really helpful when you feel anxious. Remember that your story has a happy ending. But even then, how do you know that you'll stay a Christian for the rest of your life? When you go home from fat with all the the different things that could come your way in the rest of your life. How do you know that you'll keep trusting in Jesus? What we're going to see this morning is Yahweh the protector. We'll see that God is the best way to cope with anxiety. It's kind of like believe in yourself, but not yourself. The opposite. (laughs) Believe in God. Trusting God is the best way to cope with our anxiety because of who he is. Yahweh the protector. And so in this passage, we're going to see some great reasons that we can trust him. Now, point one's the longest, and then points two and three will go really quick. But the first thing we see in this passage, point number one, is Yahweh is able to get his people to the promised land. See, we've seen this week how God has successfully rescued his people out of slavery, just like he said he would, in the exact manner and timing that he predicted. And it's glorious. His predictions, his promises have all come true just like a magician's trick that happens exactly the way he says it would. And so now they're on the way to the promised land. Check out chapter 13, verse 11. Moses says, After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on oath to your ancestors. So if you see in that verse, chapter 13, verse 11, the Lord is about to bring them into the land of the Canaanites and give it to them. 
That's the promised land, because it goes on to say, as he promised. And so this verse is the start of some instructions of what they're going to do when they get there. The promised land. What does that bring to mind for you? Wamberal Beach, for some of us, maybe. <laughs> or um, even better, this place. Endless perfect ways. Or maybe, I know, can you believe that? Or maybe for you, it's more just chilling with your friends. Those are some of the things that I would want. The boys. Those are some of the things that I would want. But the actual promised land for them was called the land of milk and honey, which in those days was like calling it the land of Mars bars and chocolate milk. Because there's going to be plenty of good food there. And it's going to be a peaceful place where they'll be able to enjoy the relationships of being God's people together. And the best part about the promised land is that it's God's people in God's place, like we saw last night, enjoying God their king. Last we, like we saw last night, the best possible thing you can have is God. The best thing about being in God's people is a relationship with God. And so these guys are on their way to a place that's really, really good, really good. But the best thing about it is that they'll get to be God's people in God's place, enjoying God their king. And that's actually where the story of our world began. God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the amazing Garden of Eden, and enjoying God's rule and blessing. In fact, it says in Genesis, God himself was walking in the garden with them. But like we saw in fact last year, humanity wrecked it. God's people rejected him, and so they stopped being God's people. As punishment, they got kicked out of the garden and it wrecked the whole world. And so they've lost the blessing of God. But like we saw on Thursday, the big promise to Gramps, the promise to great-grandpapa Abraham, Big Daddy, was to make him into a great nation, God's people. And it was to give them a promised land. And then they would get to enjoy God their king again. And so now at this point in Exodus, God's people have become a great nation. You can tick that one off. And they're on their way to the promised land where they will enjoy God's rule and blessing. And so if this was a movie, you'd expect to see the credits starting to roll here. Surely there's nothing to be anxious about for the Israelites now. But you know how sometimes in movies you think it's over, but then it's not? It's like bonus part. There's actually one more round in this. And in this round, there's a new thing that the people of God need to learn. They need to learn that Yahweh is able to get his people to the promised land. Because it doesn't take long. You might have picked it up when Hannah read that. It doesn't take long for, Yahweh, for God's people's trust to fade. All right. I don't know if you've had this experience, but you know when you go to the dunny and you settle in for a good poo sesh and then you finish it up and you wipe and you clear and you get up, you wash your hands, you're out the door and you stop and all of a sudden you've got to go again. You're like, oh man, this sucks. Now, do you know what that's called? I don't know if you... Who has ever had that experience? Okay, it's good. It's not just me. Um, and, and Todd as well has had it. Um, that's called a, a second thought poo. You thought you were done. You decided, but now you've got to go back. At this point in the story, Pharaoh is having second thoughts, not about poos, but about letting the Israelites go, okay? He thought he'd wipe himself clean of them, but turns out he's gone back for more. So he gears up his chariot army, right? And he starts chasing the Israelites. All this happens in chapter 14 from verse 5 to 8. Have a look at chapter 14, verse 5 to 8. 
When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Now, how do you think the Israelites are going to react after everything that they've seen Yahweh do? Well, they react badly. <laughs> Look at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Israelites, oh, the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And their terror, it leads them to hate on Moses for leading them out of Egypt because now they think he's just led them to their death. And they even say that they would have rather stayed in Egypt. So keep reading verse 11. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Are they serious? Back to slavery? Back to their children being murdered? Have they forgotten what their God has just done in getting them this far? Why do they doubt? Especially when in chapter 13 verse 21, it says God was right there in a pillar of cloud and fire. Get to that in a second. But it's just awkward. It's like saying something awkward about someone when they're standing right there. Sometimes at youth... Um, parents drop their, their teenager off and they say to me, you know, Mini-Me or whatever the kid's name is, is a little bit awkward and he doesn't have many friends. And then they just go on and on about this while their teenager is standing right there. And I'm like, oh, that's a bit awkward. See, the Israelites are quick to doubt God and his promises and forget about his faithfulness and power when God is right there with them. And now with Pharaoh and his chariots charging out towards them and, and the people's trust fading, they're about to witness something that will go down in history as proof that Yahweh is able to get his people to the promised land. And here it is. He can do it because he's Yahweh the protector. Now we see uh, Yahweh the protector in three ways in this passage. Number one, he's their guide. So if you're taking notes, you can write that on one of those like little offshooty arrow bits. And then pick it up from chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt, which is what they end up wanting to do. But you see there it says he, he led them. And check out verse 21. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. So do you see how God guides them, protecting them, leading them safely? He's telling them where to go. He's with them constantly in cloud and fire. And in verse 22, he stands guard for them at the front of the group to protect them. I reckon a lot of our anxiety comes from not knowing what to do. So one of my sisters in particular often asks me for advice and she's stressing. She's like, what should I do? 
Now, it's, it's such a good thing that Yahweh, the protector, is our guide. So all you guys need to do is wait for the big pillar of fire to show you what to do. All right? No, nah, not like that. Today, the way that Yahweh leads us is three things. Number one, he's given us an instruction manual, <laughs> the Bible. It's way more than an instruction manual, but it is that as well. Number two, he's put his Holy Spirit in our hearts who changes our desires to want what we should want. And number three, he guides us through his people, other Christians giving advice to each other. So when you guys go home from camp, how will you know how to live? You could listen to what your sinful desires want to do. You could listen to what your non-Christian mates say. Or... You could get to know the instruction manual and pay attention to the ways the Holy Spirit is changing you and listen to the advice of other Christians. Guys, when you get home, make it your aim to read some of the Bible every single day. Maybe even start today when you get home because Yahweh is our guide. All right, back to the story because the next thing we see about Yahweh the protector is that he is a promise keeper. So with these armies charging towards them, check out how Moses responds in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Chapter 14, verse 13, Moses answered the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance. That means rescue. The deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now just picture it, you're out in the desert, you're blocked in by the sea on one side and Pharaoh's army on the other. They're bloodthirsty, they're heading towards you and you look to your fearless leader and he says, just chill here for a bit. Look back at the army, the sea behind you, you're like what? <laughs> Talk about anxiety. But what we see is God delivers on his promise to deliver. He's the world's best delivery man. He's already delivered on his promise to, to pass over them. He's delivered on his promise to get them out of the land of slavery. And now we're about to see him deliver on the promise to save them from the armies of Pharaoh. So look at what God says in verse 15. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. So God kind of points out the obvious. Come on, man, quit. Quit crying out, quit, quit moving. Um, but where, says Moses, where should we go? Oh, Moses. Mosey, Mosey, Moses. Clearly what you should do is put your hand over the sea, part it, and go through it. That's what happens. God rescues his people one more time through the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. God tells him to do that. Look at chapter 14, verse 21. In the wrong book of the Bible. Chapter 14, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and they walked through on dry ground. Um, okay. <laughs> wow. That's nuts, eh? But then in verse 23, the Egyptians, they chase them into the sea. But then verse 24, God confuses them. And then when they try to escape, he brings the water back and destroys them. Now, how crazy is that? 
Nothing is out of God's power to save his people. When you read this, you almost can't help thinking about, um, you know, like when you look down, you see a little line of ants walking along a track on your kitchen bench or something. And they're so organized, but they're so small and so simple. And you can like thump the bench or put a little pen in their track or even just like blow on them and see what happens. And they just freak out and they scatter everywhere. You can't help but see the similarities here. Pharaoh's army is meant to be the mightiest army in the world at that time. But when you compare God's power with Pharaoh's, it's just it's incomparable. And the armies, they freak out and they say in verse 25, let's get away from them for the Lord is fighting for them against us. Do you see how Yahweh has succeeded in his mission? At the start, Pharaoh's like, who is Yahweh? I don't know who he is. I don't care about him. And now even his army is like, get away from them. The Lord Yahweh is fighting for them. Now I just love it how Yahweh, he promises to save them. He's powerful enough to do it. And he sticks to that promise. Yahweh, the protector, is a promise keeper. And do you see what this means for us? We've got a trustworthy God. He's never fallen back on even one of his promises. Why would he start now? Do you ever doubt that Jesus will return like he's promised? He won't. God is like a 100% positive feedback uh, eBay seller. Um, I don't know if you bought something on eBay, but um, you always check their feedback. And if you see like more than 90% positive, you're pretty confident that it'll be like they said and it'll, it'll arrive on time and all of that. God's got like a 100% rating from millions of promises delivered. We can be sure that he will deliver on his promise. All right, as this story keeps unfolding, the third thing we find out is that Yahweh is also a provider. Now, don't get too annoyed at this, but even after all that we've just seen, look what the Israelites do in chapter 15, verses 22 to 24. Chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, verse 23, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah, a word that means bitter. But look at verse 24. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And they start whinging and doubting God again. Guys, haven't you learnt your lesson yet? But then in verse 25, Yahweh proves that he is a provider. Look at verse 25. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it in the water, and the water became fine to drink. Now there's really no reason for us to doubt that God is able to provide everything we need, is there? Now of course, God's view of what we need might be different to our list of things that we want. But we can have confidence that Yahweh the protector is a guide. He's a promise keeper and he's a provider. He will provide everything you need to get you to the promised land. Got the point? Yahweh is able to get his people to the promised land. That's point number one. As I said, points two and three are heaps shorter. Here's point two. We've seen that he's able to get his people to the promised land, but the ultimate party land is still coming. See, at the end of all this, the picture-perfect finish to Exodus is within grasp. And they're so stoked that in the first half of chapter 15, they break out in a song, just like the winning fat team did last night. That's kind of what happens when you're happy. You tend to write a song about it, like at a football match or whatever. Or like um, 
every Disney movie you, you can think of, like High School Musical. I don't know if these are Disney movies. Step Up. All the characters, they enter onto the screen and they sing like some final song together and everything's happy and resolved. And again, you're waiting for the credits to roll. But the truth is, we haven't seen the end of Israel's troubles. Fast forward and you find out that even once they get to the promised land, there's a pattern to Israel's problems for the rest of their history that just never leaves us satisfied. I drew a graph of it. And you can see it even in this chapter. We've already seen it. Even after all that Yahweh has done, the Israelites still grumble and they whinge and they complain. And that pattern keeps repeating. They grumble, God provides. Then they rebel. Then God forgives. Then they rebel even worse. Then God forgives. And this goes on and on. And if you flick through your Old Testament, it becomes really clear that these people actually need to be saved from themselves. Israel doesn't just need a physical delivery from the nation of Egypt and their slavery. They need a spiritual delivery from their own sin. And that's why Jesus came. See, when you come to Jesus, he gives you his Holy Spirit to set you free from that destructive pattern of sin. But for now, we still have the old self as well as the new self. So there's a bit of a battle going on in this life. But one day, Jesus will come back. And he will, next slide, next slide, yeah. Jesus will come back and he will remake the world and it will be the ultimate party land. This promised land they're heading to now is just a hint of it. And so God's people, the church, will be fully reunited with each other. Every Christian has ever lived and with God. And we'll be raised up, body and all will be there. We'll be in God's place. As good as the original Garden of Eden was. In fact, better. You might picture heaven like clouds and harps and ghosts. No way. It's going to be as as rock solid as this earth is, but without all of the pain and the mess of this world. That's what we saw last night. And like we saw last night, the best bit, we will finally get to be with God face to face, enjoying Him as our King. That's the true promised land. The ultimate party is still to come. And so point number three... So we party on the way to the party. All right? See, I think we can learn a lot from the one thing that Israel do get right in chapter 15. When God brings them through the sea, chapter 15 verse 1 says that they party. Have a look. Then Moses and the Israelites, chapter 15 verse 1, sang this song to the Lord. And the song goes like this. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. And they sing about all the amazing stuff God's just done. And this is how we should live our life. When you realize what God has done for you in saving you through Jesus, and you realize that ultimate party that we have ahead of us, you should want a party now. I don't mean you'll always feel like jumping up and down, but you'll feel joy and thankfulness. And so how do we party on the way to the party? Well, we live praising, not complaining. That's what Moses and the Israelites do. They burst into song, a song of praise. Praise is saying how great someone is or how thankful you are to them. So last night at the dinner, Jono praised a whole bunch of people. And we praised them with, with clapping and stuff. And he praised them with his words. And that, I thought that was pretty fun, wasn't it? It's actually pretty fun. So Jono praised Carney for the games. Then Carney praised his parents for cooking for us for 14 years. So when someone does something really great or that we're thankful for, it's actually really fun for us to tell them with our words how, how great it is. That's what praise is. 
Ultimately, it's God who's done the greatest thing in saving us. And so we should live our lives praising God. Just like these guys in song, being thankful, proclaiming the glories of the God who rescued them. They sing to him and they sing to each other to reflect on and remind each other what's happened. So guys, that's why we sing as a youth group. It's a party on the way to the party. It's a celebration of praise because of who God is and what he's done. And so when we come back in here, when everyone comes back in here, we're going to sing. And when we go to youth week one, we're going to sing. And both those times, why don't you praise him really passionately for what he's done? But the good news is, it doesn't stop there. You can praise him by singing songs on your own, um, you know, in the shower or whatever. Or you could, you could sing together on the bus on the way back. You could find out the songs we've been singing this week on Spotify um, and make a playlist um, and sing just, or, and even just think about the lyrics and praise him, you know, in everyday life. I posted, by the way, the, the songs on Facebook, on the Ever Youth Facebook, and um, it's on my Instagram, and we might try and get on the Ever Youth Instagram as well, so you can see what songs we've been singing. But praising God doesn't even need to be in song. You can praise God in your whole life by living thankfully to Him and pointing to His greatness in everything you do. I want you guys to make your whole lives a song of praise to your God, especially your words. So praise God when you pray to Him. Don't always just be complaining about stuff or asking for stuff. Praise Him. Praise God when you talk to other people about Him. Um, my mate Dale, I might have told you guys this already. Sometimes he would just be like, Oi, how good is God? I'd be like, yeah, He is good. Oh, thanks for reminding me. So do you see that the opposite of praising is complaining? And this is a big problem for me. I am always complaining about stuff. Whenever we complain, we're saying that what God's given us isn't that good. It's a bit of a slap in the face to God. So as you, as you head home from camp, maybe you'll change the way that you talk about stuff. Instead of saying, man, it sucks that blah, blah, blah. You could say, man, I, I'm glad that God knows what he's doing because blah, blah, blah. Or even just, I'm glad that God knows what he's doing. Or I'm just glad that I've got God. We party on the way to the party by praising, not complaining. Second last, we live, this is the other way, another way that we, we party on the way to the party, we live in faith, not fear. See, haven't we seen that we've got a God that we can trust? Knowing that God is a promise-keeping God, that's the key to dealing with anxiety. I'm not saying that anxiety will completely go away, but I want to show you three of my favorite promises of God. Number one, the eternity promise. You write down John 3.16 and look it up later, but it says, it's on the screen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if you did yesterday, if you put your trust in Jesus, your substitute, you believed in him, you've got eternal life. That's the eternity promise. Secondly, ready for the everything promise? Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things... What things? All things. God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So if you're someone who loves God, everything that happens, God's working in it for your good. Number three, the love promise. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. Read this on the screen. For I am convinced. I will tell you what he's going to say and then I'll say it is saying nothing can take me away from God's love. Ready? I'm convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in God's creation, in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And this promise is God's commitment to you that he won't let anything take you away from him. Now, that doesn't mean you can kind of stop caring about whether you trust in Jesus and, and live life like a maniac. No, you still got to keep hanging on to him. But here is God promising that he will help you to keep hanging on to him. Now, do you see how those three promises can be weapons to fight anxiety? You worried about the future? Your eternity is promised. Are you worried about being unloved? God's love is inseparable. Are you worried about anything else? God's at work in it for your good. What's left to be worried about if your future's sweet, you're loved, and everything's for your good? But because we're human, we will still feel anxiety. Um, and so my advice is use these promises to help you fight it. Because Yahweh, the protector, has proven time and time again that he is a promise-keeping God. Because we know Yahweh, the protector, let's live in faith, not fear. And lastly, partying on the way to the party means this. Obeying, not thinking you know better. See, I reckon it would be crazy if I trusted God with my eternity, but didn't trust him with the way that I should live now. But that's, that's what I do. When temptation comes in and I'm tempted to sin, the reason that I'm tempted is because I doubt that God knows best. If we trust God, whatever we read in his word, we should obey and not think that we know better. Guys, fat's drawing to a close. That's sad. You're supposed to go, oh. <laughs> fat's drawing to a close. Oh. Oh, wow. Okay. Sorry to you. Um, as you head home, as you head home, realize that we in our lives are travelers on the way home to the ultimate party land. Okay? Will you make it? The Christian life, it's a marathon. I can tell you now, it's going to be hard, but it's so, so worth it. So guys, run this race this week when you're off fat and you're fresh with new Christian energy and run the race in three weeks when that buzz starts to fade and run the race three years from now when it gets hard and run it with confidence that Yahweh is able to get his people to the promised land. Tomorrow morning, you're on holidays. The temptation for you, you won't even notice it actually, will be just to go straight back into life the way it always was. You'll just jump straight back on the computer like you usually would. And quickly you'll fall back into the, the same routine like nothing ever happened. But you don't want that to happen. So maybe you decide to do it differently. Maybe when you wake up tomorrow, before you jump on a computer, check Facebook, Instagram, or text your friends, you open up your Bible. You pick a book to work through. I would recommend the book 1 Thessalonians. You might want to write that down. And, and you learn from 1 Thessalonians how amazing Jesus is. And you, you read through the notes that you took on fat to remind yourself. And then you pray and you ask Yahweh the protector to help you live for him today. And you start making changes in your life. You love your family. <laughs> you listen to your parents. 
You look after your sister instead of snapping at her. You make an effort not to swear, not to lie. And above it all, you're partying on the way to the party. You're stoked to be saved. And you're fighting anxiety with the confidence that Yahweh is able to get his people to the promised land. Let me pray. Father, please help us to do those things. Thank you that you're our protector. Thank you that you can get us to that ultimate party land. Please help everyone in this room to make it there through trusting you and obeying you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, Good stuff to be thinking about. Um, Why don't you just chat to the person next to you for a sec about that talk. Um, Are you on the way to the party? Are you partying on your way there? Seniors, come on in and grab a seat and we'll get started together soon.